So it is an awesome truth, and uh, I mean to use that word awesome in the full power of its proper sense as something which inspires all that arouses wonder and reverence in the human heart. It is an awesome truth that the Holy Spirit lives inside of the believer and that he has taken up residence in our hearts and that he is at work within each of us uh, to make our souls, our natures, our inner beings a place where he not only lives but where he will be at home. It is even more astonishing when we take a moment to remember that he is completely holy while we all are sinners. There's a really beautiful picture in the New Testament which illustrates this truth to us. It's a kind of a snapshot or a preview or a synopsis of what God is doing in us through the Spirit. Back in those days when Jesus and the apostles walked this earth, people with leprosy were considered unclean. They had to live apart, uh, away from other people. They had to cover their faces, and they wore torn clothing. Uh, And they, they had to cry out everywhere they went, unclean, unclean. And no one would dare ever touch them. But if somehow you came into contact with one of them, then you would be unclean. You'd be considered unclean until a defined amount of time had elapsed and you had performed certain ceremonies. And yet one day, in spite of all those precautions and regulations, a leper approached Jesus. And that poor man said to him, Lord, If you're willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus said, I am willing. And then he did something utterly unexpected. He reached out his hand and he touched that leper. And at that very moment, that man was cured. It's a wonderful truth that though Jesus touched that leper, he was not made unclean. Jesus is so pure that his very touch brought purity with it. That's a picture of the Holy Spirit in us. We are all lepers and unclean because of our sin. And the Holy Spirit is holy. He's pure. He lives in us. And yet our sin does not sully him. It doesn't tarnish or make him dirty. His work in us is a a work that will go on uh, all throughout our lifetime, but it has already begun. And God will continue that work until he brings it to completion. It is an awesome truth that the Holy Spirit lives within us. And the life of God courses through our soul. And the Spirit brings with him what we might call our spiritual DNA. Because he lives in us, there are certain family traits which all Christians share. Love, hope, and faith. 
And we've already talked about love and hope, and we've started a conversation about faith, which we're going to continue this week, and Lord willing, we're going to finish next week. As a family trait, faith will show up in who we are, and it affects the things that we do, which we're going to look at next week. But both who we are and what we do, all of it comes because of the faith which is in us. Now this morning, I I think it would be helpful uh, to do a kind of a review, and I'm going to try to be succinct here, a review of the eternal things which God has done in us because of our faith. And then we're going to look at the character changes, at least some of them, which have occurred, which are built into us or being built into our lives because of our faith. So we're going to begin by talking about how faith is related to our eternity. And there are three things there for us to note. The first one is, is because of faith, we are not condemned. John 3.18 puts it this way. Now, Jesus is actually the one who's speaking here, and he's referring to himself in the third person. Whoever believes, that's the faith, in him, meaning Jesus himself, is not condemned. So whoever has faith in Jesus is not condemned. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. Now that is a precise statement that sets side by side our condition after we came to faith, which is that we're not condemned, and what we were under before we came to faith when we did stand condemned. And it also sets side by side the state of those who have believed were not condemned and everyone else. For you remember, the Bible says that without faith, it is impossible to please God. Without faith, people's sin, frankly, condemns them. You know, the guilt of uh, humans, when we experience that, when we sin, it, it, it's a terribly uncomfortable feeling. So much so that we've become very adept at hiding our failures and our sins from others. And when we can't hide them, we, we make the best and most explo- uh, plausible excuses for them that we can. We have been so good at evading those feelings, avoiding them at almost any cost, that we've almost forgotten what guilt feels like. But you can remember it. You, you can remember those times as a child, can't you, when, when you got caught doing something you shouldn't have done? You, you can if you try. You can remember those things, those feelings that went with it. For me, one of those times was when my brother and I were about five and six years old. We took $20 out of our mother's purse, went to the store and bought candy with it. We got caught. (laughs) And what made it worse is we did that when we were at my grandmother's house and she knew our guilt too. And I can tell you that burning of my face and my ears of my embarrassment 
over what I had done was worse than the spanking I got. And that was a significant paddling, I can tell you. Those feelings of guilt are really only the beginning of the condemnation. The reality which follows will be far, far worse. Because of our sin, we are condemned if we don't have faith. If we haven't put our faith in what Christ did on that cross to pay for our sins. I have to tell you, I also remember times when my brother got caught doing something wrong and I wasn't a part of it. It felt good. (laughs) It felt good not to be under condemnation. Not that I wanted anything bad happen to my little brother, no. But, But just not being there, it felt so good. That feeling, that that state of not being condemned is our eternal condition because of the faith in us. And with it comes this sense of peace and and a freedom and, and a joy of being alive, none of which you experience at the same time as you experience guilt or condemnation. Now I know that as believers... Uh, we still sometimes struggle with feelings of guilt and condemnation. And and the truth of the matter is, is if we're sinning, if we're doing things we aren't supposed to, those those feelings, uh, they motivate us to to change our behavior and to revert back. But otherwise, the fact is, no matter how we're feeling, no matter what our feelings may tell us, if we've put our trust in Christ, we are not condemned. And truth is important, and it will set you free. But then, maybe you're here today, and you know that you are under condemnation because of your sin. Maybe you realize that you haven't come to Christ, but you can find freedom from that condemnation. You can find freedom from those feelings of guilt, just as I and many other people have. And it happens simply by trusting the work that Christ did on the cross, where he died to set us free from the power of sin. If you're here today and that's your situation, if you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ, if you don't know what I mean by that, if when somebody says, I have a personal relationship with Jesus, you scratch your head then I can tell you pretty certainly you don't have that relationship. And I would hate for you to leave this place without an opportunity to have it. You come see me after service. I won't tell you what I think. I'll take this book and I'll show you how you can know your sins are forgiven. Now, if you do that, Or if you're still making up your mind about it, there's even more reason for you to trust Christ, which is uh, what we're going to talk about now. You see, the second thing that our faith, which relates to our eternal position, uh, does for us is that we are justified. Uh, This is how the Bible puts it in Romans 4, 5. However, to the one who does not work but trusts God, who justifies the ungodly, their faith is credited them as righteousness. So because of faith, we're justified. 
And that means we've been declared righteous. Our faith has been credited to us as righteousness. And actually, it's even kind of better than that. You can actually say that justified means just as if I'd never sinned. Justified, never sinned. When, when God looks at you and me, when we put our faith in Christ, he does not see our sin anymore. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our sins from us. We are justified. And you know, that's something much better than our legal system can offer you. Uh, I mean, our, our legal system is the greatest in the world. I mean, there are others that are similar to it. But the best that you can get uh, from, from it, from that legal system, as great as it is, if you're accused of a crime, is a not guilty verdict. It doesn't declare you innocent, and nor does it make you innocent if you are, in fact, guilty of the crime. Yet that is what God does for us when God justifies us. We were guilty, and he declares us innocent, and he makes us innocent, and he looks at us as though we have never sinned. Now, now that's a process that's going on, and there's a process involved here that goes along with this truth. I mean, we're justified, we're declared righteous, but that justification is being presently worked out in our lives through a process called sanctification as God cleans us up until one day that justification and that sanctification is complete, and we're going to be glorified. We'll be like our Savior when sin and death never have any other part in our lives ever again. The Holy Spirit is touching the leper. He's touching us and making us clean. But in the meantime, when God looks at you and I, he never sees our sin. Because of faith, We're not condemned. And when we're looked at by God, he never sees our sin. The third thing about faith, which relates to our eternal position, is that we are protected by God Almighty. So so Peter says in his first letter to the church, and he says to them, but he says to us also, he says about us, who through faith are shielded, And that word means to be guarded or kept or protected. We're shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. And that verb there indicating shielded or guarded or protected or kept indicates something that is constantly or continuously or unceasingly done for us. We are continuously protected. And the text goes on to tell us it is done for us by the power of God. And and all of that is because we have faith. It's not what we do. It's what's done for us because we have believed in Christ. Now, how do we... How do we understand this guarding or keeping that God does for us? I mean, it's vaguely military. 
Uh, you might picture kind of an encampment with guards set all around the perimeter, and you would especially do that if there were children present, wouldn't you? And yet, just because you have a guard, it doesn't mean you're not going to be attacked. And if it were just people watching over you, um, you may even be defeated. But still, I kind of like that idea, that military idea, because it communicates something of the dangers that we face, and yet the strength needed to keep us, to protect us. And yet I'm not quite happy with that image either. So if I could... I'd cross that concept with a kind of more benign image of a man walking through a downpour carrying an umbrella. If I could cross those two together somehow, that's what I would do. You see, that umbrella protects the head and the upper body of that man as he's walking through that downpour, but his pants and his shoes they're going to be pretty wet, right? So if he's gone to the office uh, or to a meeting, he's going to get through that day well enough. It's not going to be a complete washout as if he didn't have the umbrella. Th- those two ideas together maybe can help us to understand how God guards us powerfully from extreme dangers, and yet it doesn't mean that we get by untouched We may be touched by things much worse than just getting wet. And yet, and yet, because of God, in the long run, those things will mean less to us than a bad storm. I I don't know if you can put those two things together in your mind, but that is a pretty good image of how God shields us. Hardships come. We feel it. He protects us and he delivers us. And it certainly won't change the eternal life which is already in us. Now, you know, when you read this text, you you can see that we're not told who or what we're shielded from. And perhaps that's the point, right? Because God keeps us from any and all harm, whether it's an attack of the evil one or the rebellion of our own flesh or or the deceit of the world, whether it's physical danger or spiritual, God guards us. And so because of our faith, we're not condemned. We're looked at by God as though we have never sinned. And God shields us from all lasting harm. His life which is in us is never in any jeopardy. That's how our faith is related to our eternity. And our faith makes a difference also in who we are. It changes our character. It affects our perspective and our attitude as it begins that process of making us more like the Savior. So we want to look now at how faith changes us. It changes our hearts and our attitudes. And the truth is faith influences every part of our life. I mean, we've noted before that we live by faith and not by sight. But there are three changes in our character that we can say come about because of our faith. And we're going to look at each one of those in turn. The first is the freedom that we have to come to God. Ephesians 3.12 puts it this way. In him and through faith in him, 
we may approach God with freedom and confidence. The English Standard Version says we have boldness and access to God with confidence. Our, our hearts have been changed so that we can come to God in real freedom. It, it's by the Holy Spirit who lives in us that we cry, Abba, Father. Daddy, our Father, is the way we would say it. And what better picture could we have of this truth than a little child who goes to his or her daddy without any fear and in great confidence? Is he afraid? Child that he is. Then he goes to his father, knowing his father's there for him, knowing he'll be safe. When the little girl was tired, she turns to her daddy to hold her. She knows he loves her. She knows his arms are strong. Are they hungry or cold? Daddy's always there to help. Everything is somehow better just being with their father. Has he or she done something they should not have done? What better place is there to go? They may want to hide. They may even try to hide, but hiding doesn't take away the burden of their sin. He or she still feels guilty, and they know it. Let him, let her go to their father who will help them even with that, who will take away the burden and set them on the right path again. They have freedom, real freedom to go to their father. And we have freedom, real freedom, every one of us who put our trust in Christ to go to our God. That's our freedom. He is bigger than we are. When we're in need, there are so many things that we cannot do. But there is not one thing that he cannot do. All of our needs are met in him. And when we sin, how our hearts might be wrenched within us, a guilt away on our soul, how distressed we are in our own weakness. But where else can we go? Where else can we go? There is no Where else that we can go? The only place we can take our sin, the only place we can go for comfort, the only place we can find forgiveness is when we go to the Father. Every time we go, and we have gone many times, haven't we? Every time we go, though there might be some sternness in it, we always find his love waiting for us, drawing us in, wrapping itself around us. We know that. It's in our heart. It's who we are. It's the fruit of our faith. Abba, Father, Daddy, we cry. And he answered, I am. Come to me. See, our faith has so changed our character that in freedom, not in fear as it used to be, but in freedom we can go to God. The change goes even deeper than that. For our faith makes our heart a home for Christ. A wonderful thought if you think about it. 
You know, there is in Ephesians chapter 3 this beautiful phrase, which is part of a larger prayer. And Paul was telling that church that he's praying for them. And here's the phrase. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. The New Living Translation puts it nicely when it says that Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. I hope you have some sense of how powerful that statement is. It is faith which makes our heart a home for Christ. Now some of you uh, who travel a good bit for business can tell us something about being home. (laughs) And and, um, you, you go away on your sales call or you go away to troubleshoot some problem Uh, Maybe you're fortunate. Maybe your company is willing and springs for the nicer hotels. You you check into your room, right? You set your suitcase on the stand. You hang your jacket up. You put your toothbrush in the bathroom. Maybe you sit at the table for a while and you get ready for tomorrow's meeting. Maybe you turn on the TV, but soon you crawl under the covers. That's comfortable enough. The temperature in the room is fine. Your surroundings are quiet, but maybe not too quiet. Uh, It's not at all unpleasant, but it's not home. It's not home. Maybe instead of business, you've traveled to visit a friend or a relative that you really love. And and you enjoy your time there. They make you comfortable. You, You laugh, you reminisce, you talk into the wee hours of the night. You enjoy yourself immensely. And it's all almost like home, but not Every time we travel, no matter how much fun we've had, no no matter how glad we were to see other people, no matter how nice the surroundings, either Anne and I always remark, it's good to be back home. You know, home is where you belong. It's where you're accepted. There is a comfort of the heart when you're at home. And home isn't temporary. It's not passing. It's like a hotel or a visit, right? There's a permanence about it. Now, now maybe our homes here on this life are going to pass. I mean, we know that that's going to happen. But, but you see, they're a reflection of something which will not pass away and which will live forever. And our, our faith makes our heart like that for Jesus. Faith makes our heart his home, a place where he's not a stranger, where he is welcomed and embraced, a place he never will leave again. Our heart, because of our faith, is a place where he can be who he really is, the master. It's a place where he knows, we know, that he's the master and that we're glad that he is. Our heart is his home. Our our faith has so changed our character that in freedom we can go to God. And and that same faith has made Christ at home in our hearts. And right now I just want to say glory be to God. There's one more change which faith brings about on us. And it's often not very apparent at first anyway, and maybe it'll even surprise us when we hear it. But it's our faith that overcomes our fear. 
man by the name of Jairus went to Jesus and told him his plight. His little girl, she was 12 years old, was dying. And he asked Jesus to come and save her. And the crowd that day around Jesus was thick and the people were pressing in. And it made their progress slow and as desperate as Jairus was, they couldn't go any faster. And then all of the progress stops. Jesus has stopped. He's asking of all things, who has touched him? I mean, how could he ask that with the people crowding all around him? But there he stood waiting. Then an older woman came and fell at his feet, and she confessed that she had reached out and touched just the very edge of his robe because she believed that she did that, she'd be cured of the disease which had plagued her for years, and she was healed. And Jesus heard that, and he blessed her and sent her on her way. Finally, thought Jairus. And as he turned from her to go on his way again, some people came from Jairus' house. And they told him, don't bother the teacher anymore because your daughter's already died. Jesus' words to that man, almost lost in his grief, were so simple and so profound. Mark records them for us in chapter 5. Overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, Don't be afraid. Just believe. Faith overcomes fears. At another time before Jairus had gone to Jesus, back in Mark chapter 4, the disciples were afraid for their lives when a furious squall had kicked up and threatened to swamp the boat they were in. Jesus was asleep on a pillow in the stern, and so they woke him. And he got up and he calmed the wind and the waves. He ordered them to be quiet and to be still. And then he said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? See, it's faith which overcomes our fear. Before Christ enters in, our hearts are like empty drums. Every rattle and shake can cause a great boom. Fear can overtake us in any moment. It so quickly fills the void that nothingness is frightening to us. But Christ came into that empty shell, and he fills it with himself, and he makes our heart his home, and we begin to feel safe. Or you walk into a dark room, pitched black room, and then you hear an unusual noise in that room and your heart leaps. And then you reach over and turn on the lights and you're not quite as afraid as you were before. Our faith overcomes our fears. I want to tell a personal story um, about something that happened to me uh, many years ago, 1973, uh, to put a year on it, when I was 20 years old. Uh, It was before I'd come to Christ. And what I'm going to tell you right now is not at all gory, but it could be very frightening to some. And um, and so uh, if you don't like horror movies, uh, you don't like that kind of thing, or if you have a young child that's here, then I'm going to ask you if they might be adversely uh, affected. I want you to step out of the room 
and I want you to do it now. Uh, maybe I'm being a little too dramatic here, but I am certainly not joking. This is your last chance. The event occurred way back then when I was uh, coerced into seeing a movie I really didn't want to see. My friends Luke and Terry taunted me, asking me if I was afraid to go. And the truth be told, I was afraid. I had begun reading the book that the movie was based on, but I could not finish it. I was uh, simply too frightened by it. But I was too great a coward to admit to them my fear, and so I went with them to the movie. The movie was The Exorcist. And to me, it was terrifying. There was one scene in that movie where the possessed girl was lying on a bed. And that bed began to move, first a little bit and then harder until it was jumping around in a violent way. I had never been afraid, so afraid, in all of my life. And I told myself it was just a movie, that I shouldn't be scared, that I would get over it, but somehow none of that helped. The fear didn't leave even when we left the theater. It was still all too real. It went on for days and months and years. The worst of it was when I would go to bed and I'd be laying there in the dark And I'd feel my bed begin to shake slowly, back and forth, side to side. And I would say to myself, it's just my imagination. And in order to prove it, I would take my hand and I'd reach out and I would touch my bed and I would touch the wall at the same time, only to discover that my bed was really moving. Every time I ever did that experiment, My bed was moving. Was it because my heart was beating so hard? Was I unconsciously shaking in my bed? Or is there a different explanation? And just about every night, the fear was back. And I couldn't even begin to go to sleep unless the light was on and I was 20 years old. I lived that way off and on for almost five years until George came into my life and told me about Jesus. And when I put my trust in Christ, my heart stopped shaking and so did my bed. Now you can make of that story what you want. I know what happened to me. And I didn't all of a sudden become brave either. Jesus took my fear away. It was as though there wasn't enough room for both my fear and my faith in the same heart. I have to tell you, all my fears haven't gone away. There are other things I struggle with, the fear of failure, the fear of not being good enough, the fear of letting you down. Uh, I, I think human beings are bundles of fears that we don't always recognize it until something comes along and brings them to the surface. But Christ in our hearts changes us and 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 the fears that we still have why their days are numbered we are overcoming them because Christ overcame our faith has changed our character 
It has changed our character so that we no longer fear like we did before. It has changed us so that we go to Christ in freedom. It has changed us so that Christ is now at home in our hearts. And we are who we are because our faith means that for all eternity we are not condemned. No, not now, not ever. We are looked at by God as though we had never sinned. Our sins are removed an infinite distance from us. And God shields us from all lasting harm. His life which is in us is never in any jeopardy. That's our faith. That's our family trait. Do you know what all of that's like? It's like the smell of good food cooking. It's like the sunrise on the first day of vacation. It's like waiting to visit with someone you love dearly that you haven't seen for a long, long time and catching a glimpse of their car coming down your road. It's a promise of better things to come. Because we put our faith in Jesus Christ. It changed our eternity. It has changed who we are. Glory be to God. Can I pray for this? Lord, how your word says, not to us, not to us, but to you be the glory. Lord, we know that we um, don't deserve your goodness. We have never done one thing in our life that merits your favor. We were proper, right objects of wrath. But you loved us. And you sent your son who took our sins away. And you made us different. And you're continuing that work. And we rejoice in the promise that you will never leave us or forsake us. Help us to find strength in those promises. Help us to take our Savior with us everywhere we go. Help us to introduce him to those we meet. Help us to live so that people want what we have. Help us. In Jesus' name, amen.